Welcome to the Get Writing Podcast. I'm your host, Liz McGavro, and I'm obsessed with all things writing, creativity, and telling your stories in your authentic voice, because I believe a good story can change the world. Ever since I was a little girl with my nose in a book, I dreamed of being an author. I wanted to see my books in bookstores everywhere. I wanted to talk about books. I wanted to soak up everything about the craft. My celebrity crushes were mostly authors and I could feel in my bones that the writer's life was my destiny. Fast forward to today. Along with my alter ego, Kate Conti, I'm an Agatha Award-nominated best-selling author with three mystery series, but it wasn't all smooth sailing along the way. I experienced many setbacks, crushing self-doubt, a lot of career detours, and I even lost my voice a few times when I let the world get in my way. Until I learned that writing was so much more than just a skill set you learned and developed over time. It's also an inside job that flourishes when you heal all the wounds that are stifling your creativity, which is no easy task. So if you're a writer of any kind, or if you've always wanted to write but aren't sure where to start, this is the place for you, my friend. We're gonna talk about all things writing process, craft, strategies to help you get writing and stay writing, the daunting world of agents, editors, and publishing, And because I'm using my authentic voice, I'm going to throw in a little woo-woo for you too. So let's get writing, shall we? Welcome back to the Get Writing Podcast. I'm your host, Liz McGavro. And one of my favorite things about doing this podcast is that I get to have extra conversations with writer friends of mine, writers I love and respect and admire, and people I love and respect and admire. Today's guest is definitely one of those. I met Daryl Wood Gerber way, way back when we were both just starting out trying to make this writing thing work. We just hit it off. I just, I remember us working on pitches and story ideas and talking about agents and publishers together and just cheering each other on back when neither of us were even a gleam in a publisher's eye. And we've been friends ever since. One thing I just love about her is how upbeat and positive she always is, not like in a toxic positive way, just she's generally a positive person. She always has a kind word and a smile for people or a motivating sentiment to share. And when I was writing my first proposal for my first cozy series, it was Daryl who gave me what my friends and I call the magic proposal because she had used it to score a contract. She shared it with me and I got a contract. Then I shared it with some of the wicked authors who were also proposing series and they got contracts and it's been passed around from there. Uh, we, we do talk about that today in our conversation, but we cover so many things about writing, the business of writing, and even a little Hollywood. Here's a little about her. Daryl Wood Gerber is the Agatha award-winning nationally best-selling author of the Fairy Garden Mysteries, featuring a fairy garden shop owner in Charming Carmel, California. The French Bistro Mysteries, featuring a former chef who is now an up-and-coming bistro owner in Napa Valley. And the Cookbook Nook Mysteries, featuring an admitted foodie and owner of a cookbook store in picturesque coastal California. Under the pen name Avery Ames, Daryl writes the Agatha award-winning, nationally best-selling cheese shop mysteries set in fictional Providence, Ohio. Daryl also writes suspense novels, including the Aspen Adams books and standalones, which have garnered terrific reviews. 
Prior to her career as a novelist, Daryl wrote screenplays and created the format for the popular TV sitcom Out of This World. A fun tidbit for you mystery friends, Daryl was also an actress and co-starred on Murder, She Wrote, as well as other shows. Daryl's originally from the Bay Area and graduated from Stanford University. I hope you love her as much as I do, so let's get right into our conversation. Well, welcome to the podcast, Daryl. So happy to have you. Thank you. I'm so pleased to be here. We have a lot to talk about today, but you, I just have to say, you were like one of my very first friends in the writing community. I mean, I think I met you like when I was just starting out and you've just always been so delightful and so helpful and so sweet. And I'm just happy to be able to share this time with you. Well, thank you. I I remember when we met and we just had some good conversation and, and I was just feeling in a great way to, you know, to keep encouraging good writers with good voices. So that was, that was fun for me. Thank you. So tell us about yourself, because you've had a really interesting career. You had a whole other Hollywood life before you started your novelist life. So tell us about that. Okay, so, um, well, I, I, I went to college, and all of a sudden, I found myself becoming an actress. <laughs> Love it. And uh, so I moved to Los Angeles, and um, I, I did a lot of commercials, and I worked at theater. I sang, I danced, I did all that kind of thing. And, and along the way, I, I really wanted to be a star. I mean, I wanted to be a star. And so um, people said, well, you have to write your own screenplay. You have to produce your own screenplay. Make a screenplay that someone will want to star you in. Because I wasn't getting the, the breaks that I really wanted to get. And so I, um, I, wrote, I joined a screenwriting class. And I wrote a screenplay. And it did very well. And it got into a you know, contest and won like third or something like that, which was great. Um, but it didn't get me any place. And I just didn't know what to do with that. And then, but I was working well. I, I worked in Murder, She Wrote. And um, I did I did a movie called Airport Concord 77. Ooh. I still get residuals from that movie. Wow. And it was a bit part, but I still, you know, that's probably made me the most money of all my acting. But it was fun and I loved it. I loved being an actress, but I did not become a star. And um, my husband got transferred for um, uh, for his career in, at ESPN, and we moved to Florida. Well, hard to write a screenplay from there, not a lot of acting down there for Screen Actors Guild members. And so I just sort of said, okay, I'm gonna start writing books because that's the other thing I wanted to do. And I had a seventh grade teacher who told me I shouldn't. So <laughs> right, taking the screenwriting class really helped me start to understand structure. And um, so I, I joined this Sisters in Crime Guppies, which is an online group, and I got into some critique classes and critique group, uh, writing classes, critique groups, and I wrote my first novel, and then I wrote another one and another one and another one, getting rejected and everything else. But, but Hollywood, what I did as an actress feeds into how I write. I love dialogue. I love character. And so those kinds of things, I think, are my strengths when I write my stories. Yeah. Okay, first, I just have to say this teacher was a terrible teacher. (laughs) I mean, really, what teacher says that? (laughs) You know what, it was a short story. And he just said, you know, this is not your skill. And at seventh grade, I was like, okay, did, did you think maybe, you know, somebody could help me, you know, work a little bit harder on it. And, and I gave it up. I mean, I had written a little play for school and, and, and eighth grade, and that went very well. But, you know, after that, I just didn't have confidence in my writing. Mm-hmm. 
And so I put it aside and I, like I said, I sang and I danced and I did artistic and creative pursuits and I, I became an English major. So I read a lot of books. Um, but the writing, even a, a college professor, I wrote a term paper and we didn't have to get the term paper approved, the theme. Well, so I turned in my paper and he said, your theme is stupid. And I said, hello. I said, <laughs> did I write a good paper supporting my theme? Yes, but you're, you know, the writing is just, it was, why would you choose that? And what I'd chosen were um, in Shakespeare, uh, the the use of the word of eyes and orbs, because it's a through line through all of his work. He just said it wasn't deep enough. And, and so therefore I should not write. Oh my <laughs> goodness. Yeah, it was, it was fascinating to have that kind of a, yeah. Yeah, it's it's amazing. Well, it's incredible that you kept going, right? Because I, I you know, I talk about this a lot with um, newer writers um, about how some of them are so afraid to get started because maybe someone had told them once that they're not smart or they couldn't do it, or you know, and people will just give up and walk away after hearing something like that without there really being any anything to back it up, no evidence to back it up, no real. I mean, this teacher could have just been having a bad day, right? It, it, without right. no, I mean, it's still obviously a terrible thing to say, but you know, they could totally change the trajectory of someone's life if that person decides to believe them. Well, and and so that is the problem is that if they believe them, in order to be a writer, an actress, anything that artistic specifically, you have to believe in yourself. Yeah, that's one of my big mantras. You know, believe in yourself, believe you can. Um, I, I won most persevering when I was in high school because if you don't believe in yourself, then you're talked out of your dream. If you can be talked out of your dream, then it really wasn't your dream. Mm. I know that sounds silly or, or, you know, maybe trite, but you have to have the dream and believe in yourself. I, I remember talking to my friend about, you know, actors and not all actors are gifted actors. Yeah. You know, not everybody can be Meryl Streep or Robert De Niro. It just doesn't happen. But there are actors that are working actors the rest of their lives as, as moderate as they might be in skill, they believed in themselves enough to keep the work going. And, and that's sort of a journeyman. And I think with, with, with writing a book, here's a big deal. You can't write a book unless you start a page. You can't write a big book unless you finish all 300 pages or so. If you write a page a day, you'll have a book in a year. If you stop after a chapter, you're never going to have a book. I mean, these are the kinds of things that you have to tell someone. Someone's, oh, I want to write a book. Good. Get started. Yep. Well, um, how do I get started? Okay, if you don't know, write an outline. Start there. Write a chapter. Write a paragraph. Write a note to your mother. Anything to get your creative juices going so that you can get words on a page. Because otherwise, it's all well and good to say, I want to be a writer. But if you don't write, you're not. Yeah, totally, 100% agree. And I love how I love how you recognize and recognize from a long time ago that mindset is part of, or probably the biggest part of the of the whole thing, right? To just to right. make any progress at all. Do you right. do you journal? Um, I do not journal. Mm -hmm. I did uh, back in college. Yeah, and then I opened up a journal <laughs> when I was 25. And I went, oh, I need to rip this all up to shreds and pieces. So I did, because I didn't want anybody knowing yeah. the thoughts that I'd had during those times. Um, but there was a book, it was The Art of Writing. Ooh, where is it? 
I think it's the art of writing. It's on my shelf someplace. Um, and in the art of writing, and this was something I picked up at the very beginning, is how to journal my emotions about writing. Hmm. And so in the book itself, they have little places where you're supposed to write how you feel about writing. And it was a, it was very instrumental for me to find the courage to write and the courage to believe that along the way I would be creative and I would get better. And um, so that was the only journaling I do. Do you journal? I do. I actually, um, like I always did on and off. I, and I tell the story a lot, like when I'm talking about how I kind of got to where I am today. But when I started, when I read um, The Artist's Way by Julie Cameron, and I started doing morning pages. Oh, The Artist's Way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I okay. said The Artist's Way. That's it. Okay, there you go. Yeah, yeah. Uh, um, her book was life-changing for me. So morning pages was just something that I took away, you know, and, and never let go. And it's really funny that you say you, t- you tore it up because people wouldn't, you didn't, you wouldn't want anyone to see it. I did have an experience where someone read my journals, um, and it, it was pretty crappy, like, you know, took pictures of, of pages and everything. And, and I oh. remember thinking, yeah. And I remember thinking at the time, like, hmm, I wonder if I should give up journaling. And, and I'm really proud that I was like, no, you know, whatever, whatever's going to happen is going to happen. Right. I mean, yeah. and I'm just going to keep journaling because it helps me and it keeps me from saying the things that I write in my journal out loud to anybody else. Right. Okay, and, that, and that's important. But I, if I were you in a future murder mystery, I would kill that person that took the pictures of your journal. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, how dare he or she do something like that? That's so private. That's yeah. that's so personal. You want to talk about it. You want to mention it. You want to discuss it. But to take pictures of it? Yeah. Ooh, very bad. Very bad. Very, very <laughs> bad. Where is the motive to want someone dead? That is a good motive. I hadn't thought of that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, it's sharing a secret. Think about that. You True. know, True. I have a secret. You know the secret. I don't want you to share my secret. Yeah. But mm. in this case, that would also be vengeance. Yeah. How dare you share my secret? Yeah. You know? Yep. There so, we go. Yeah. We're, we started a new book. <laughs> <laughs> I'm always starting a new book, aren't you? Yes, for sure. For sure. Every day I get a new character someplace. It's like, oh, she's going in the book. I was talking with my hairdresser the other day and she was telling me about someone. And I went, oh, good character. Went home, took a few notes, wrote the notes down and said, just keep it for a future character someplace. Yeah. Yeah. I still have a list of people from my last real corporate job that need to be killed. I mean, I haven't gotten through them all yet. There are so many. Yeah, well, I, I I killed one. I worked in a law office, and um, in my first short story, I killed the paralegal. Nice. She Love wasn't it. the paralegal. She became somebody else in my short story. Yeah. But it was it was the person. Yeah, I've done yeah. that many times. It's it's very <laughs> uh, it it feels very good. <laughs> yes, you know, people say, "What do you do?" I say, "I kill people on paper." Yes, me too. That's so funny. So yeah. I have to ask because there's a lot of mystery li- mystery readers listening. What was it like to be on Murder She Wrote? Oh, <laughs> it was so much fun. Angela Lansbury was an absolute pro. I always default and call her Jessica Fletcher, but she was a pro and one of, and only, always one of my heroes. And to, to stand there and have a scene with her was incredible. But what blew me away is I had a, a close-up and it was a whole scene close-up talking to her and the sheriff on the other side. 
And she stood on the other side of the camera and delivered her lines or just listened to me so that I had her to look at and listen to and not just a script advisor. And it was just, I just thought that was such a professional thing. She could have gone back to her trailer. She could have said, I'm done for, you know, for an hour or two. And she didn't. She stayed right there, stayed with me in the moment, gave me all her looks and nods and whatever. And it was just, it taught me a lot about, you know, how giving um, actors even at the top can be. And she was just, she was lovely. So it was fun. And it's a good thing to be able to talk about is a little tidbit that I can put in my bio. I love that. How many episodes were you on? I was only on one. Okay. You're going to have to tell us which one so we can put it in the show notes. Simon Color Me Dead. And I was a a very, very mean woman with dark hair, my regular dark hair. This is not normal. Um, (laughs) And, uh, um, and, and I was, I was a bitch. <laughs> you know, I love I, it. Did I, you get murdered? No, I did not. Oh. I was accusing a, a woman of uh, her son stealing my son's bicycle. So ah, I, I was, I was really mean, but it was, <laughs> it was a fun little scene, a cute, cute side story. Um, uh, a friend of my husband's called him and, uh, he said, I'm in San Diego and, uh, I'm in a hotel and, um, I'm watching your wife on TV. And my husband (laughs) said, murder, she wrote. He goes, yeah, how'd you guess? (laughs) That's awesome. I love it. Very fun. Yeah. Very fun memory. All right. So you moved to Florida. You decided to write books. So how how did you pick what kind of book you wanted to write? Tell us about all that. Which story, right? I mean, which is the first one? Uh, You know, I, well, actually, I tried to write a book back in Los Angeles. And uh, it's in my drawer and it will never come out again. It was a very personalized story and it doesn't need to be seen. Um, But so when I went to uh, Florida and picked a story to write, um, I was very much, I am a golfer and I was uh, reading a whole um, book, huge book. I mean, four inches thick book about the history of golf that a friend of mine had written friend of Chuck's and mine had written. And um, I, I said, oh, wouldn't this be a good background for a mystery um, to, to come up? With? And that book has not been, has not seen the light of day either, but it was a good launch pad for me to get started and try to, you know, figure out how to write a book, how to get all the clues in, et cetera, et cetera. And from that, I set that one aside. So I, I've written a lot of books because each book I had to learn something new about writing. And I realized that I sort of wanted to write thrillers, not mysteries. So I switched and wrote a thriller. Um, and that got a lot of traction from a lot of uh, agents. And they said this, you know, I like your writing. I like the style, but I can't sell this book. Do you have anything else? And I wasn't going to show them the one that was in the drawer. And that happened about, you know, maybe 15, 20 rejections. And I said, okay, I better try over again. And that's when I joined the guppies and um, got a critique group. And we were critiquing. All of us wrote suspense at the time. Um, It was Krista Davis and Ginger Bolton, who's known as, um, anyway. And uh, so we, uh, Janet Bolin, and we were, um, we were critiquing each other's work and, Along the way, Krista sold a cozy mystery. And we were, you know, 
so happy for her and it was started doing well. And she said, Daryl, you know, if you're not getting traction on your suspense, because I wrote another suspense and another one. So I've written two more after that. And, um, and she said, if you're not, why don't you try Cozy Mysteries? And I'd read Cozy Mysteries. I mean, you know, I'd, I'd read lots of Agatha Christie and Nancy Drew, and I've been reading Christa's books and, and a, a bunch of books and because I read across genre. Um, I read a lot of thriller, a lot of suspense, a lot of mystery, traditional, and then cozy mysteries, which are, you know, on the sweeter side. And um, and I found that that I liked the voice, and I met an agent at uh, Not Left Coast Crime. What's up in your neck of the woods? Crime Bank. Um, New Crime Bank. Bank. I met an agent there. It was happened to be Krista's agent, and she and I hit it off. We were just having a really great chat, and um, I sent – she – I – Krista said, why don't you send her some ideas and see if, you know, she likes them for cozies. So I sent her three ideas and she said, these are all cute, but the hook isn't strong enough. You know, I like your writing because I would send her not just and I'd, I'd send her three chapters and an idea. And so she said, uh, you know, try again. And I'd send her like three more. And she'd say, OK, these are all, all very cute. I mean, I'm writing three chapters, you know, every yeah. week at yeah. this point. <laughs> and uh, these are all very cute. You've got a good voice, but the hook isn't strong enough. I was like, Ugh. And I had a suspense out. Um, and I said to my husband, if that doesn't find an agent, I'm done. I can't do this anymore. It's just, it's, it's too hurt, hurtful to constantly get rejected. Now I was an actress and I got rejected all the time as an actress, but the writing took so much more time and, and it was all based on your craft as opposed to as an actress. Sometimes it's based on your look. You're too old. You're too young. You're too blonde. You're too whatever. And, but in writing, it's all about the word on the page. So I was frustrated. And he said, okay, if that's how it goes. And um, then this agent uh, called me up and she said, how would you like to write about cheese? And I said, what? And she said, do you think you could write about cheese? And I said, sure, I know cheese. I know Jack and Cheddar and Monterey. You know, I know all the cheeses, Swiss. And she said, well, they want Berkeley wants a cheese shop mystery. Um, do you want to take a crack at it? And I said, this is called a work for hire. And I said, um, yes, how many people are auditioning? And I said, and she said, just you, you get the first crack. And I said, oh, okay, you've got three weeks. So in three weeks, I wrote three chapters and I put them past my critique group and I put them through a friend who was an editor, made sure that they were as clean as possible. I went to a cheese shop and tasted all these different cheeses, got the whole idea of what the cheese shop should look like. And I sent off the chapters to Jackie and Krista said to me, you know what, it could take her four to six weeks to get to them. Don't, you know, don't hold your breath, just keep writing. And um, the next day I got a call from Jackie that she loved the chapters and she was sending them on to Berkeley, but it could take four to six weeks for them to respond. So don't hold your breath. And by Friday I had a contract. Wow. Okay. So wait, how long was it from when you started, you know, sending out your suspense to this point? Eight years. Wow. Eight years. Okay. okay. I think that's important, right? Because people sometimes yeah. get so discouraged after like eight months. Yeah. No, it, it took a long time. Um, and I was, now I was in Charlotte. By this time I was in Charlotte, North Carolina. We moved to Florida, to North Carolina, and then to Connecticut. And 
in Charlotte when I was writing, well, that's not when I got the contract. No, in Charlotte, I was acting. I found stage. And so that was keeping me occupied. And I was teaching some acting and doing a lot of stuff for my son's school. So I was keeping myself busy while my husband was traveling all over the country. And, and so I wrote all that time. And I think because I had other pursuits, it allowed me to not put so much pressure on, am I good or not? I just had to keep trying the craft. And that's when I, critique group, critique group, critique group. I can't tell you how valuable that is, really. And then when we moved up to Connecticut, um, that's when I finally said, if this doesn't work. And then, you know, got the deal. And, And it was okay, I guess I'm supposed to write cozy mysteries, except I still love writing suspense too. So I, you know, I've got a foot in both camps, but eight years of writing and being rejected. In fact, oh, this was fun. And the guppies, they don't have it anymore. But um, at the time they had a contest of the queen of rejection (laughs) who who submitted as many, you know, letters to uh, agents and whatever. Back then we had paper, not emails and uh, not query query.com and um and i would send out letter after letter after letter to agents and i got 50 rejections inside of 40 days and that was very painful but i won queen of rejection and then the next month is when i got the contract so it was like okay you have to keep trying and that takes a, a, a thick skin not everybody is made for this kind of life You know, and you and I know if you write a book and it's great and all your fans love it, but it doesn't sell enough and the publisher lets that book go, you have to have another idea. If you want to keep writing, you have to come up with something new, something that fits you. And and these are the kinds of things that you have to re-gear. You know, how do I make myself come up with a new idea? How do I find the energy to write a whole new set of stories and characters, everything else? And, um, yeah. Yeah, it takes perseverance for sure. Can we, can we just pause for a second, though, and talk about your proposal? Because I think that proposal has had the most rounds through the mystery community. Because you gave it to me. <laughs> and when I was writing my first proposal, and I got a contract off that proposal, and then I shared it with some of now what, what have become the Wicked Cozy author, or the it Wicked is. Authors. Mm-hmm. We used to be the Wicked Cozies, but then we branched out. We're the Wicked Authors now. And I shared, shared it with some of them. I mean, this proposal has been around the block. <laughs> it, it has. So, so the proposal that, that uh, Liz is talking about, when, when I got the, the um, cheese shop mystery, they sent me what was called a Bible. And in the Bible, it came up with a blurb of what they thought the story should be and about three suspects, a couple of the main characters, and, you know, basically go. And so I came up with a proposal so that once you've once you've published a book, they know you can write. So you don't have to always write a brand new full book. The proposal is three chapters. So you come up with a blurb or two or three. It's always good to come up with two or three ideas, but the first one is the one you're going to write your chapters for. So you have a blurb. You come up with your main characters, core characters, usually about five. Um, You come up with three to five suspects. You come up with the storyline, the log line, and then you write three chapters for it. 
At the end, you should have a couple of more ideas for book two and three. If you have something special that is your expertise, it should be in there. If you're going to include recipes, you should say that recipes are going to be included. Or if you're going to give tips on how to, you know, snip begonias, that's that should be in there. Um, so it's it turns out to be about 30 pages. And it is a great tool for sending to agents, if you're changing agents, or to your publisher to say, I've got a new idea, Miss Publisher, you love me. Do you want to take this one? And I think that that's, um, it's a great way of showing your voice because those three chapters really do matter. And, and in this, you do have to have the body drop by the third chapter because they need to see that you can figure out how to write a mystery. Um, but it's all about voice and it's all about just the preparation of, oh, they're organized. We can work with this. Because they have internal people that can go through that too and say, oh, I see where this is going as opposed to it's just a pitch. Or if it's an entire book, you're going, oh, I don't want to read 300 pages. This gives them an idea and they can reject or accept based on immediate you know, feelings about it. So the proposal, yeah, it's, it's been around a bit. Yeah. It is interesting though, because I mean, I'm assuming that you've heard the same thing, but I'd be interested to know um, for other genres... That's not really a thing. Like suspense, thriller, it's not a thing. It's really a cozy thing. Yeah. Well, it's, yeah, it's certainly a mystery thing as opposed to, you know, suspense. They're not going to buy you on three chapters. They're just not. They're not going to buy you on a pitch. Um, You know, you can do that in Hollywood. You can go in and pitch a suspense and they might buy it on the pitch. But you will have had to have, you know, two and three screenplays before that they can say this is, you know, a sample of my work. And they, you can't give them a romance to sell a suspense, that kind of thing. So it is a matter of, um, yeah, that, it's not something, I don't know, maybe a romance. I don't know if they'll do that with a romance, three chapters. I, I'm i not in that world. I'm, I'm dabbling in that world and coming out with a romance in a couple of weeks. But um, it's just, you know, I don't know the romance world in that way. So, but yeah, I think that this has worked because Berkeley was able to work it. Berkeley, um, it, which is part of Penguin Random House, had a huge volume of cozy mysteries. And the only way they could sort through them is just a couple chapters here, a couple chapters there, boom, 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 take, 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 lose, lose, lose. And then Kensington got into it, Kensington Publishing Books. Um, they got into it as well. And they too will now sometimes work off a three-chapter proposal. I, I don't think St. Martin's will. There are other publishers. I don't think they will. So it truly depends on the publisher too. Yeah, for sure. I don't know. So I, my cat cafe series is with St. Martin's, but right. I don't know. Uh, so they, they actually went to my agent at the time with the request for what they wanted. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I just, you know, wrote, I wrote them a proposal, but they had asked for it. So I don't know if they do that okay. for just cold sales or not. Um, but uh, interesting. Uh, St. Martin's had uh, asked my agent, um, for something uh, about a French bistro. And I wrote the chapters and proposal. And by the time they got them, she said, oh, we decided we don't want that. And so I said to my agent, they've decided they're not doing it. It's not my work. They're just not doing it. Do you want to try to sell it elsewhere? And he did. He sold it to Crooked Lane. 
So, so, you know, that, that worked well. It, it didn't go as long as I wanted it to, but, but because I had the proposal, he was able to use that and Crooked Lane did buy it, but that, I don't know if that's because the editor who was at Crooked Lane that took it had been at Berkeley and mm-hmm. knew me very well. Yeah. Yep. So it's yeah, such a crazy, it's a crazy world. It really is. So I, I want to talk more about the different genres, but for, but let, while we're on the publishing world, let's just stay with that for a second because mm-hmm. people have so many different experiences in you know kind of coming through it, what it looks like for them. Right. I think it's probably different now than when you and I started out, right? So you know, as we think through the how the business has changed and you know all the options that are out there now that maybe weren't as popular when we were starting, like self publishing, hybrid publishing, like. I know you've had experience with self-publishing too. Mm -hmm. How do you feel about all these different ways to get in? You know, um, okay. I'm I'm very mixed on this, all right? I self-published because I really did want to publish one of my suspense because it wasn't finding groundwork, because my husband loved the story, I self-published it. And it did just fine. Got some rave reviews and it sold fine. It didn't go smash big, didn't become a blockbuster movie. It just is, it makes me happy that I got it and did it. And then uh, I did it a second time because I had enjoyed that, but I really couldn't wrap my head around how to promote, promote, promote a self-published book. You're not getting it in bookstores, et cetera, et cetera. And bookstores were huge for my first few books Barnes and Noble was one of the reasons that my books went to, you know, national bestselling is because they had them on the waterfalls at the front of the store and and they were always, you know, in in prime view. Uh, Barnes and Noble is not as visual as it used to be. And so that's a huge loss to, for example, cozy paperbacks. In fact, mass market paperbacks are going the way of the dinosaur. All publishers right now are going to trade paperbacks Kindle, you know, Kindle um, eBooks and uh, hardcovers to sell to libraries, which is the model for St. Martin's and Crooked Lane, um, Severn House, where my next suspense is coming out of. They like to sell to libraries first, hardcover, and then if they can get the other sales, they do. A year later, they'll come out with trade paperback. So we'll see how that all goes. Um, that being said, it's there's there are fewer publishers taking cozy mysteries than there were, and they're taking half of what they used to. Um, There are fewer readers for cozies because typically cozies are older readers, 40 to 75. Well, at some point you're sort of aging out because the 20-year-olds are not reading cozies. So publishers are trying to figure out how to get those 20-year-olds, 30-year-olds to read mysteries without thinking that they're cozies. <laughs> um, so younger protagonists and um, uh, younger protagonists with older protagonists so that you have, you know, uh, um, uh, the age gap covered. And it's, it, it, it's a harder business right now than when we got in. And it was harder for us than those that got in 10 years before we did. Uh, those that got in 10 years before we did had no competition or very little competition so they could build up a huge audience. When we came in, all of a sudden there are 200 cozy authors. 
Well, now there are probably a thousand and 800 of those are self-published. And the self-published people can sell their books at 99 cents. So for voracious readers, they'd much rather have 10 99 cent books than one 14.99 book. And the problem with that is, you know, a, a lot of times with self-publishing, they don't get edited. I'm not saying they're bad or good, okay? Stories may be great, but if they're not getting edited by a professional editor, then they can be, you know, not as tight as if you're going through a publisher and it gets all that extra attention, extra eyes on the prize. So that said, I prefer publishing because I like those extra eyes. I like the PR that goes into it. I think publishers get things done better. They get it on NetGalley, et cetera. Um, and so that part is good. But, um, but you know, I like self-publishing so that you can put out a book that you love to have and nobody's going to buy it. You know, you hope people will buy it just because they know you, but you couldn't get a publisher interested, which is what I, I did with my romance. There are very few romance uh, publishers. I didn't have an agent who wanted to support sending it out to publishers. So I had to try on my own. And I just, I sort of gave up quickly and decided to self-publish it because it's a Christmas story and I wanted it out and it's sweet. And, you know, if it finds legs, it finds legs. But for now, it's just, it's out there because I wanted it out there. Oh, I'll show you the cover. I love that. Congratulations. Oh, super cute. Super cute. Super cute. So, we'll put a link yeah. to in the show notes so people can snag it up. Okay. <laughs> What's the name? What's the title again? Tell everyone. Hope for, hope for the holidays. Love it. We need some hope right now, don't we? We do need <laughs> some hope. And, and I think that's one of the reasons I wrote it is it was just, like I said, a pleasure project and a passion project. Um, I would write mystery all during the day. And then I'd have dinner and I'd go right outside for about an hour on my romance for yeah. it took me about a year but it was a few pages put it aside but it was almost like having dessert at the end of the day mm -hmm. with writing because it was not thinking dark and mysterious and clues it was thinking oh when are they going to kiss yeah <laughs> yep and sometimes you just need a kiss <laughs> yeah. sometimes that's what it takes <laughs> Yep. I love it. It is an interesting, uh, mixed bag though, right? Because I mean, I had a book that came out last March and a cozy. And, um, when I went to my, you know, the, the business model at Barnes and Noble is much different now in the way they order books and all yeah. of that. And I went to the Barnes and Noble near me, they had no cozies, like zero, zero. Wow. Wow. I, I mean, and it, you know, it wasn't like the biggest Barnes and Noble ever, but it was, you know, in a big shopping center and, you know, it, it just was Zero? shocking to me. None. Wow. None. Well, so did they only have the big blockbusters like James Patterson and things like that? So yeah, they, they had a lot of the, the, you know, that day's books and the, the thrillers and the hardcovers and, and all of that. Um, you know what those are called? They're called water cooler books. Mm -hmm. That means the people that read one or two books a year, yeah. read those so yeah. that they can talk about them and say, oh, I just read the latest blah, blah, blah. Right. And but but cozy readers are voracious readers. And so if they know where they have to get their books, they'll find it, even if that means, you know, going to online shops. Yeah. 
But it can be a little discouraging, right? For, you know, you're thinking, you know, you have a traditional publisher, how much more guarantee do you need that you're going to end up in a bookstore? (laughs) Not like a tiny little bookstore either, right? It's, yeah, it is interesting. Um, Yeah, it is. It is. And and yet, you know, Barnes and Noble has to, you know, make their dollar and their dollar comes from what they sell. And, you know, they're going to sell the hardcover by James Patterson and make more money than they are an $8.99 mass market paperback. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think, again, that's the other reason that, that some of the publishers are going to go to trade paperback because, number one, they, they look the same as a hardcover size-wise on a shelf. And so more bookstores will have those, again, because the dollar price goes up. So, therefore, the bookstore is still making more money if it... Yeah. Yep. What about agents? <laughs> agents are, are a tricky business. Um, you need an agent. You do need an agent. And in the cozy mystery world, there are a handful of good agents that, that people need to reach out to. And the reason is they have the contacts with the publishers. They're the ones that, that can really connect to the publishers. Um it might take you a while to find the right agent. I, I, for me, I finally found the right agent. But it, you know, I, you, I, I thought I was going to have this gal named Jackie, and when she took me on, and a month later, she retired to become a psychiatrist. So I love it. I I love it. To another one, I know she was probably spending a lot of her time counseling writers. That's right, counseling writers. <laughs> she went, Why don't I get paid for this better? You know, so. It was so sweet. I really liked her. And I got transferred to another agent there and, and she wasn't really happy with my work, didn't really you know, enjoy it. And so I left her to go to another agent and, and that worked out pretty well for a while. But like I said, I wanted to get my romance out there and I had some suspense that I wanted submitted and that agent didn't want to do that. That wasn't his expertise. His expertise were cozy mysteries and that was all well and good, but I wanted to expand that horizon. And so uh, I went looking and, uh, <laughs> and I submitted to another 25 agents, getting no takers on my suspense. It was very frustrating. And then I had come up with a new cozy idea and not having an agent at the time, I just pitched it to my editor and she said, oh, I love that idea. Let's, let's get something together on that. And so I wrote this agent who had paid attention to me for my suspense, but hadn't ever really picked it up, um, but sells a lot of cozies. And I wrote her and I said, listen, I, I need someone to handle this deal because they want this from me. And she said, okay. And then it turned out that they decided they didn't want that. So I wrote her and I said, you don't have to take me on if you're not interested. She said, well, no, you've got a great voice for cozies. I had no idea because I'd never sent her any of my mysteries. I'd never approached her for that. And, and so she said, um, she said, let's come up with some other proposals. They'll just take a paragraph proposal from you. I went, whoa. So I came up with four. And she submitted them and they took one. And so I sold a new mystery. And so she became my agent for that. Interestingly enough, at the same time, a publisher in England wanted my suspense because I submitted directly to them. And I said, will you handle that for me? And she said, well, you know, I'm, I'm not. I said, no, I don't know anything about contracts. I'm more than willing to pay you, you know, out of my pocket or anything on top, whatever it takes so that you'll handle it for me. She was marvelous in it. So 
finding that connection, you know, it's not always going to work. Sometimes you have to move. Sometimes you don't. I've got a girlfriend who's changing agents right now because her agent decided she doesn't want to do cozies any longer and only wants dark suspense. And my friend doesn't write dark suspense and she wants to write something that's historical and this agent doesn't want that. So off she goes on the search and she's been published for as long as I have. It's just one of those things. Agents agents can be fabulous. And, and that same agent is great for my friend Krista. So who knows? Um, you, you find it, you connect, and that's the one. But you may have to shop around for a while. And, but I do say that going to conferences where you can make a face-to-face meeting with an agent is vital. So for writers, go to writers' conferences where agents are going to be there, sleuth fest, um, uh, not Left Coast Crime, uh, Sleuth Fest and Crime Bake. Um, and there are a few others. Check those out because that's where you can meet with agents, give pitches, have them read 50 pages, etc. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, just because this is another thing too, right? Like I used to think, oh, you get an agent and then you and that agent, it's forever and ever. <laughs> and it's not always going to be that. Yeah. Yeah, you you may just really connect and you think it works. And then all of a sudden, it's just, it's not working anymore. And some agents retire. Then what do you do? You know, the agent is retired. Or like I said, the agent changes completely. All they want to do now is children's books. Hello. Yeah. What do you do with me? That happened to a friend of mine. Oh, boy. You know, so what does she need to do? Well, she has to go out and find a new agent. Yeah. Okay. And, you know, she writes hard suspense. I don't think a children's agent is going to be able to do that. What made the agent change that way? I don't know. Maybe she had a child. Maybe she, you know, just all of a sudden she had friends that wrote all these books and she loved them and said, this is a gentler world for me. So I don't know why, but they're not, agent relationships are not always marriages. Yeah. Heck, marriages aren't always marriages. <laughs> I wasn't right. going to say that, but okay. <laughs> you know, nothing, nothing's forever. <laughs> right, right. Um, so do you at this point have a preference? Like, do you prefer to write cozies? Do you want to do more suspense? Like, are, are you happy doing both? Like, what's your... Well, I'm, I'm happy doing both, but let's put it this way. Even though I've got, you know, a new suspense coming out from a real publisher, um... Oh, I shouldn't say that. I had three come out, a a series of three come out from beyond the page as well. And that was nice. Um, But in this regard, you know, I'd love to have a suspense come out every year. Mm -hmm. But I also have two new series and I'm I'm wrapping up the fairy garden mysteries that are with Kensington. But they picked up two new series for me. So I'm busy. Yeah. Um, There's another romance that I would like to publish. So that's on my dessert table so that I can get that out. Uh, so I'm really, really busy. And I, obviously I like my foot in a lot of camps Yeah, and, and I'm enjoying that because let's face it, you know, I'm not going to be James Patterson at this point. So I might as well write what I want to write. Yeah. And, um, and, and for that, you know, I'm very, I'm very thankful and published. I have loved this life. I love writing. I'm a very solitary person. I like spending time with my characters on the page. Uh, but I also like to shake it up a little bit. And and it is nice to every once in a while go, 
to romance or to a lighter fare and then go to the darker fare and, and figure out, you know, the, the pace is different. The outline comes up differently. Uh, the characters are completely different. I just, I, I like standalones because they're one and done. You get in, the characters are done and you move on. In a cozy, you constantly revisit the same characters and over and over. So they have to really develop over a series. Hopefully they develop over a series. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I love that. And I think, you know, cozies do have a certain appeal to a lot of people. I mean, you know, even if we talk about the audience getting smaller, I feel like given the state of the world today, there are going to be people turning to those books because even though they're killing people, <laughs> we are killing people, you know, it's a different feel. And, you know, as we were talking about earlier, the day that we're recording this, there has been another mass shooting up in Maine, which is basically my backyard. And, you know, some of these books, even though, again, we're talking about killing people, um, it's, there's a, it's different, right? And it's, you get, you come back to a sense of order at the end, you get to spend time with people that you care about, and it just gives people a little bit of reprieve, I think. Yeah, I, I call it escape fiction um, or entertainment. It's it, and like you said, at the at the end of a cozy mystery, it is resolved. The killer either goes to jail or is killed him, himself herself um, because it, that's what that's part of the 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 trope. It has to happen. You can't just leave it hanging. There isn't you know some serial killer on the loose at the end and off they go and oh my gosh, I've got to read another book. It's it's wrapped up. And you're spending time with characters that hopefully you like. You like the protagonist. You would do in her or his shoes what they would do, even though they snoop, even though they get in there and they're you know really not police. You get in with them going, oh, well, I would have looked for that clue, too. Oh, I would have thought of that, too. And and their friends, their family, their extended family, you are feeling a, a sense of warmth that helps sort through all this misery that, I mean, the world is definitely in chaos right now. And maybe they said this in 1920 and 1940 and 1960. I mean, you know, our, our parents, our grandparents may have said, oh, my gosh, the world is ending. And and yet sometimes it really feels like we're you know, close to that just big bang theory across the globe. And, and then it comes to your hometown like it did for you, your home state. And it's, it's shocking. And the only way we can, we can't make sense of it, but we can, for ourselves as artists, put on the paper something that will help a, a reader get through it, have that moment of escape, read a book, don't think about the world, put it on hold while you focus on red herrings and clues and silliness and maybe there's food and maybe there's a cat or a dog. It's just, there's a lightness to a cozy mystery um, that I think does help heal. Yeah. And I think that that will keep them going. I think they'll, I don't think they'll ever completely go away. Right. Right. And it just, like I said, it's, it's a matter, I mean, the 40 year olds of tomorrow will probably be re reading cozy mysteries. They just yeah. aren't at 20. Yeah. You know? So it's, it's a matter of how the, the market goes, how, how are the publishers going to continue marketing it? Um, maybe there won't be as many cat mysteries and maybe there won't be as many knitting mysteries, you know, but they'll come up with other things that, you know, people say, Oh, I'm interested in that, or I'm interested in that. So I, and I think cozy readers, they read the hook. So this is the thing that I didn't get into earlier. 
Okay. The hook that, that Jackie was talking about is indeed, you know, what is it that will make the through line of the story bring in readers to say, I want to read about knitting. I want to read about cats. I want to read about spirituality or, or, um, uh, 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 essential oils. I want to read about cheese. I want. To, I had somebody say, I, "I can't eat cheese." I said, "You don't have to eat the book." <laughs> um, what makes somebody want to read about a domestic diva who makes all the party plans in the world? It's it is that you know? Are those people party planners themselves? Do they just love parties? What what is it that brings them in? What's the hook that makes someone say, "Oh, I want to read all of these in the series," and. Um, and I think that, that, you know, Jen, Jen McKinley writes about cupcakes. People read those books, not just for the characters, but for the cupcakes. Yeah, totally. They read about cupcakes and baking and all those things. So, totally. Yeah, um, I'm, I'm blurbing a book. I'm reading it right now. Um, it's, it's fun. It's about uh, someone who bakes magic lucky pies. Oh, cute. Yeah, it sounds, it's very cute so far. Um, okay, so... You have a really good outlook. Your your mindset is wonderful. You're very motivational. So what would you say to somebody who's just starting out who is determined to make it in this crazy world of publishing? Well, like I said earlier, believe you can. Don't give up because if you give up, you don't get there. Okay. Find someone in the publishing world, another author or whatever, to give you inspiration. Um, find a critique group very valuable because you need those friends who are in, they're swimming the same stream you are okay or paddling the same stream you are you're in the same boat and so therefore you can encourage one another uh find a writing buddy if necessary i wrote 10 pages how did how many pages did you write that kind of thing swap pages talk about it. again that's the critique group but um don't let someone's critique destroy you ever because it's just one person's opinion. Don't let an agent's rejection destroy you. It's only one person's opinion. You don't know what they're really looking for. Today, they really want a nurse mystery. Tomorrow, they really want a nursery mystery. You know, it's just find as much pluck as you can. And, and as you and I both said, get the artist's way. It really is a, a valuable tool in giving you confidence, especially as you're getting started. Yeah. A, a valuable book. She should pay us for this. I know. <laughs> I know I talk about her all the time. <laughs> I love this. Daryl, thank you so much for being here. And thank you for being such an inspiration to all writers. Well, thank you so much. You had wonderful questions. And this was a delight. I really enjoyed it. You do a good job. Well, thank you. I'm so glad. And congratulations on your romance that's coming out. I'm excited to read it. Thank you. <laughs> So that's it, guys. That's my friend, Daryl. If you don't know her books, run out and get one now. And if you're in the mood for a little holiday romance, you make sure you check out her new book, Hope for the Holidays. Just it sounds like what we all need right now. I'd love to hear what you thought of this episode. Send me a DM on Instagram and let me know or head over to kateconti.com and send me a message through my website. And if you could take a minute to rate, review and make sure you're, you're following the podcast, subscribing to it. If you enjoy it as a new pod, it would really be helpful for me to get the word out more about it. So thank you so much. Thanks for being here and we'll see you next week. <laughs>